Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I hope we're doing well. You'll notice the pink backdrop behind me. That was intentional because this Wednesday my hair was pink, believe it or not. If you've seen pictures of it, please burn them because I'm looking to dispose of them as much as possible. Uh, But if you're wondering why the heck... Thank you, Asher! (laughs) Thank you! This is what happens when you let our youth students touch the computer! (laughs) Wonderful! Look at that handsome guy in his ugly haircut. Doesn't change a whole lot with the pink, but it's still ugly. Well, thank you. Now you know what I was up to this week. Well, I'll tie you with my story perfectly because uh, when I was standing across from my wife under an altar getting married about five years, a little over five years ago, um, I looked at her and I said, I am marrying up. And I said that for two reasons. One, because I was looking up at her because she's taller than me. And the second reason was because that's just who she is. It's her personality. And I think about a situation when we were in college. I was a junior. She was a junior. We were engaged to be married at the time. And so uh, we lived in separate areas of campus. And uh, I am very particular about my grades. I'm more of a perfectionist, I have to admit. And so I was very, very, very adamant about my grades. Now, this was towards the end of the semester, and so those who went through college, you know that end of the semester grind. It is an absolute grind. And I was about 29 pages deep into this thing called a pastoral portfolio. Uh, it's just... It was virtually, they want you to talk about how you do a wedding, how you do a funeral, how you do uh, church planning, all this different stuff, and then type out how you would write those messages, so on and so forth. I was about 29 pages deep, and I'd been working on it for about two and a half, three months. It was the night before it was turned in. And those who have recently go to college, you know what this is like, okay? Like you're grinding, you've got Dr. Pepper flowing through your veins, you are just trying to stay awake, fingers are going crazy, you know I am up against the clock, I'm going, I'm trucking along, and I literally hit space and enter to go to my next paragraph, and my computer screen froze. And then it went diagonal, and then it went... And anyone knows who with computers, when you go, eh, it's never good, ever, for no circumstance. So my computer went, eh, and then it froze, and then it went black. And I was thinking, dear God, please tell me this is not actually happening. So I turn on the computer again, and it says, no hard drive found. And I go, you have got to be kidding me. And my friend and roommate in the room goes, what happened? I said, my computer just crashed. I lost everything. Huh. Did you save it? (laughs) Yes. Oh, so you're good then. No, I saved it on the computer. Well, maybe you should save it onto something other than that. And I'm like, thank you. That helps me so much right now. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to go back in time and save it somewhere else so I don't lose it. Thanks for the support, man. So I called my, my wife. At the time, she was my fiance. And I said, 
I just lost my whole pastoral portfolio. And she goes, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, yeah, so can I borrow your computer because mine's busted? So like, okay, I need to admit something, okay? I walked, I met my fiance, I had tears in my eyes because I was just so stressed and so bummed. Like 29 pages is a lot of pages, all right? It's a lot of work. And I'm sitting here going, how am I going to write 29 pages plus the extra that I was going to finish in a matter of, let's see here, approximately 23 hours and 57 minutes. I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? I got tears in my eyes. Meg hands me her computer, and she goes, I'm going to stay awake with you all night while you do this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? She goes, let's go. Come on. So we... We live, in a, we live in a Christian campus. There's no guys and girls in the same room. So we go to the one public place you can go on campus. The mail room, somebody. The mail room. They had a sweet couch. You had vending machines. So all night I heard from the pop can falling down. And so this is at about 7 o'clock at night. I grab her computer. I grab another three bottles of Dr. Pepper. I'm slamming them. Fingers start going. Meg's sitting there just, you know, tootling her on her phone. And about four or five hours later, maybe six, it's about one o'clock in the morning, I see this. <laughs> and I can't help but take a picture going, okay, it's one o'clock in the morning. My wife just fell, or my, I keep calling her my wife, but you are my wife, so it's all good. Um, She's passed out on this couch in the mailroom. Nobody's up at this hour, and if they are, it's because they're idiots like me, don't know how to save their work. But we're alone in this mailroom, my other buddy's across the room doing something else, and here she is, passed out, sleeping, and I couldn't help but get upset with her, because it's like, she had made it five hours with me, and I'm like, this is a keeper. And you'll also notice, everybody, candy, okay? Candy and Dr. Pepper is what got me through college, all right? So... Believe it or not, this uh, physique did not, um, it's not worked for. It just was natural, okay? <laughs> it's not great. But from that moment on, I knew I truly did marry up, even though she falls asleep on me in my moment of need. But she was there when I needed her. She was there in my need. And I was thinking about this story this week because as we're talking about this man named Peter in this series called Let Down Your Nets, um, I realized I am very much like Peter. Peter was a man who didn't very think ahead at all. Uh, he was very impetuous, which just means, he I, I said it last week, but he always had his foot in his mouth. And I, that is definitely me, because in the same day I asked a man how his wife and kids were, and another friend of mine, how wedding planning was coming, both of which who had just recently split up with their spouse and fiance. So I am notorious for putting my foot in my mouth, so I feel like I'm Peter in a lot of ways. But Peter had a bumpy ride. He went to the school of hard knocks. Anybody else go to that school? You guys graduated with the flying colors. That's what I'm talking about. But... What I love about Peter, the reason we say let down your nets is because Peter in the Gospels, he gets to this point where Jesus says, hey, push out into water and put out your nets. And Peter says, we just did. We caught nothing, but because you say so, I will. And they catch a ton of fish. And when I read about Peter, I read about a man who made a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of mistakes but also had a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot of triumphs and victory. 
And so I want to talk about that this morning in Mark chapter 14. I'm going to open up my Bible here. Everything else you see on the screen is going to be uh, this story. But I think this story about Peter is about as Peter as it gets. And you'll know what I mean here in just a second. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now let me pause right there. In this point of the story, Jesus had been with his disciples for a long time. He had been telling them for about three years, Hey, dudes, just so you know, I came here to take on the sin of the world. Hey, I came here to fulfill God's purpose. So in the not-so-near future... I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be going and dying for you and for your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' 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 kids. Where those kids' 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 is near. It's coming. I'm about to be betrayed. And all the disciples as dudes are like, come on! Like, I'm going to protect you. I'll never let them take you. Like, we're going to take care of you, man. Like, seriously, if someone tries to take you, they have to come through us. It's a guy thing, all right? <laughs> we just feel like we got all the answers, all the things, and we have none of them. Just saying. So he takes, Jesus is like, all right. So he takes Peter, James, and John with him to this garden as he gets ready for this. The same three guys that were probably his tightest of the 12. The same three guys that he brought with him to this thing called the Transfiguration, which Pastor Chris talked about before. These were his, his dudes. All 12 of them were really close to Jesus, but these were the three that were, like, were his anchor. This would be like the best, best friend, if you will. And he brings them with, and we see in verse 33 that Jesus is deeply disturbed and, or distressed and troubled. He knows what's coming. He knows the way he's about to walk through. He knows, which is why he brought his three best friends with him. Verse 34, Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Good friends he's got, man. He's distressed. He's troubled. I love that the Bible is so vivid and graphic. He was distressed and troubled and with sorrow to the point of death. This is a bad day, all right? This is a day where you are really, really, really stressed. When you look at what the Greek language of this, I was looking at a commentary in a study this week. They said that the English language can't physically comprehend how deep and intense the Greek is with how, how stressed and sorrow-filled Jesus was. He, was. he was like, 
really, really, really stressed, really sorrowful. I love Luke, the doctor of the, of the disciples. In, in the Gospel of Luke, it says he would sweat drops of blood. You talk about having a bad day, a stressful, a scary day. To sweat blood. He was so in agony. And if you back it up, if you remember in verse 34, he says, sit here while I go and pray. It's just nice to have some friends that are in your corner, right? If, you're, if, you're, if you have to go do something that's tough, you know who you're calling? It's like, hey, will you come back me up here? Will you come just be here, right? Like you always have those friends who are just going to be with you in all situations. So Jesus brings his top three friends. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Good friends he's got, right? They didn't even bring him Dr. Pepper or candy, anything. They sat there and fell asleep. But I also love that it says in Mark chapter 14, 37, he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter. If you back up and you remember some messages before, if you've been here, Jesus, when he first met Peter, his name was Simon. And Peter said to him, or I'm sorry, Jesus said to Simon, he said, hey, you're special. You're going to be someone special. I'm going to build my church. You're going to be a rock that is not wavering. You're going to be solid. And because of that, I'm going to rename you to Peter. And so for the last few years, he's been calling him Peter. What does he call him here? Simon. He calls him Simon. He's calling him out and saying, this is not you. This is not who you are. You are Peter. You are a rock. You are strong. Wake up. That's the encouraging message you want to hear this morning, right? Wake up. But I love how the progression changes. In verse 34, he says, sit here while I go and pray over there. Then after he finds him asleep, he says, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for an hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It was no longer just sit here while I go and pray. Sit here and just be with me. Now Jesus, the tone is switching. He's saying, I need you to sit here and watch and pray. Not just watch anymore, not just sit there anymore. I need you to watch and pray because the temptation is coming. Jesus knew that Peter was about to be under testing himself. Jesus knew Peter was getting ready to deny him three times. So he's saying, watch and pray. Don't sleep. Watch and pray. Verse 39, it continues. After he says all this, Jesus once more went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Now they're in the doghouse. Okay? He's woken them up once or twice now, and they're asleep again. And I know exactly what this feels like, okay? I know exactly what it's like when you're sleeping when you're not supposed to. I am a night owl by... By design. I love staying up late. I can stay up very, very easily. Waking up in the morning, you might as well grab a dump truck because it does me no good to get up in the morning. So I naturally stay up very, very late. A lot of the times my wife is the opposite. Now we have two kids. We have Ellis, who's three, and Parker, who's one. So a little over a year ago to the day, 
my wife and I were sitting in our nursery as we were getting ready to put the nursery. First time parents, you know the whole process that goes along with this, like, oh crap, our kid is coming. We should probably prepare for this. Am I alone in this? Or is anybody else with me? Because we were struggle bus in here. We, we were, with Ellis, we had the nursery done five months in advance. We can't wait. Yes! Parker comes and it's like, we have nothing done. There's two weeks to go. <laughs> but we love her. She's special. So here we are. It's nine o'clock. And my wife says, hey, can you help me sort through all the clothes that we have for Parker? Yes, I would love to. So I'm sitting up against the wall in the nursery, sifting through. That's a good piece. That's a good piece. That's a good piece. That's a good piece. And then Meg goes, Derek, hello. Oh, sorry. Sorry, that's, that's, that's my fault. So I was like, that's totally my bad. So then I was like, I'm good now. So then I, I move forward from the wall, so I'm just like, have nothing to rest on. That same thing. Don't judge me. You've done this too, okay? Don't judge me. Fall asleep. And then I woke up, and all of the clothes in front of me are gone. (laughs) And Meg is across the room with all the pile of clothes. I was like, sorry, I fell asleep. Crickets! Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. If your wife says, I'm fine, you are not fine. You start by running for the border because you, you are in trouble. So I, I just woke up. I'm not all there, okay? I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go uh, to the living room. Are you kidding me? You, you, you can stay up and play video games with your friends all night long like it's no big deal. But here we are getting ready for our daughter and you can't stay awake? So there it is. You're not fine. <laughs> Got it. It's one thing when it's closed. It's one thing when it's the savior of the world who needs you to stay awake, okay? Peter and the boys were in the doghouse. All right, they had fallen asleep again after he had said, not just sit here and wait for me, not just sit here and pray with me. They're still falling asleep. And I love what the Bible says. They were asleep because their eyes were heavy. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) Thanks for the clarification. These boys were tired. But I think what's also interesting, Luke also has a different perspective. He says they were Exhausted with sorrow. They knew that Jesus had to come do something intense. They knew where they were going. They knew what was happening. And this is why it was such a bad deal when they fell asleep. Because here comes Jesus again in verse 41. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. They slept through the whole thing. They slept through arguably the most pivotal, important moment in Jesus' life when he needed them, and they slept through it. 
They slept through the whole process. And so all of a sudden, here comes this army of men with swords and stuff who are ready to take Jesus, arrest him, and take him into custody, and eventually kill him. It's a very, very intense moment. So I want to fast forward to Peter, because Peter is Peter, and you're going to see exactly why here. That was verse 42. In verse 46, by this point, the crowd had come. Judas the betrayer had talked or had kissed Jesus and said, hey, you know, here's the deal. Kiss sounds, he kissed Jesus, it sounds weird. Kissed him on the cheek and was like, yeah, this is the dude. These guys take Jesus. They put him in handcuffs. They start leading him away. And here comes Mr. Doziafi, Peter. Verse 46. Oh, I love Peter. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Mark doesn't throw him under the bus, but John, the Gospel of John says, Yep, it was Peter. I just imagine this. Like, Peter's passed out. Hey, I need you to be awake. Okay, yeah, I got you, Jesus. Sleeping again. Okay, I need you to stay awake and pray. Okay, yeah, sleeping again. Here comes the guys. I got you, Jesus! Takes off his ear. Is that not Peter? He asked, Jesus said, hey, I need you to do this. He does it. And so Peter takes it into his own hands and chops off his ear. He missed a little bit. He was going for something else, but he hit his ear. Okay, who else would be like Peter? Let's be honest. You'd fall asleep. And yes, Ashley is with me. Yes. Here comes the sword. Here he comes. Peter does this, and this isn't on the screen, but I'm just going to finish the story right here. After he cuts off the ear, Jesus says this, Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you come up with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. For a long time, I struggled with this message. Because Gethsemane in, in, in this moment of Jesus' life is, is a heavy one. It's a tough one. We're a life-giving church. We love to see people come alive in Christ. We love to see people just find their purpose in God and live it out and be uplifted and go into the world. And messages like this aren't always easy to hear. But I love this story because this, Peter was, or this, this story has nothing to do with Peter and the disciples. This was all about Jesus. And I want to show you why. Because Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane is actually in the Greek, it translates into um, olive pressing or to be crushed. In this moment, in this time, this is olive oil. If you go over to Israel, olive oil is like amazing. It's fresh. It's awesome. It's everywhere you go because they make it right then and there. And at the time, the idea of making olive oil is you put all these oils, much like wine, in this big vat. And they have this large millstone to just crush it and obliterate it and squeeze it to the last ounce of its being until all of the oil drains down into this vat. And all of a sudden you have olive oil and you use it to make chicken tenders. It's awesome. (laughs) But the word Gethsemane literally means a place of crushing. This was a heavy deal, and they knew it. 
When they walked into Gethsemane, they knew this was a very strategic place of it. Now, we got to visit this. I, when I was in college, after I graduated, um, just before I came here, actually, I got to go to Israel. And uh, it was awesome. I'm going to show you a picture. I actually starred in Jurassic Park uh, when I was there. <laughs> and yes, we had to wear those hats. It does, it does nothing for me, all right? Um, did I look good in that hat? Absolutely not. That's what I'm looking for, all right? So we had to wear these hats. But anyway, actually, can you clear all those? Because I think they're going to stack on top of each other. It's going to look weird. Um, but we actually got to visit Gethsemane. And uh, I want to show you some pictures of it because it was a powerful, powerful experience. When we were there, uh, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And when we got to visit it, it, it literally, it's indescribable. It, it's, it's quiet. It's serene. You walk down there, it's just like all the noise just stops. It's crazy. But we were fortunate enough to have a professor there who literally made it his life work to study there and to be a part of it. And he explained this to us. He explained that the Garden of Gethsemane, which you can't see in these pictures, is actually at the base of a mountain. It's on the base of Mount Olive. And so you walk down there, and they're at the base of this mountain. It's this, it's this serene, beautiful garden. You'll see here the ground here. Israel is a lot of desert. It's a lot of just dryness. But here is this tiny little oasis of lots of vegetation and fresh growth. But what they said is that when you look at the ins and the outs of why they picked Gethsemane, one of it was because Jesus knew he would be crushed, which is exactly what it means. But I think what we miss is is when we don't look into the scripture, into the context, we miss these very subtle details that give us a full picture. Because you can probably tell in these pictures, but this is a good place to hide. This is a good place where you could dip between trees, you could dip between shrubs and bushes, and you could hide really, really easily. You're also about a half of a day's walk from Jericho, which is a fortified city where you could blend in and be safe. So when you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, quite honestly, it would be the easiest place for Jesus to escape. It would be the easiest place for Jesus to get into this garden. He could see his attackers and his Caesars and and the people who were going to arrest him coming from a mile away. And he could dip between the trees, dip between the shrubs, sneak out the back door, and he'd be off to Jericho and safe. But what did he pray? Father, if, if you would take this cup away from me, please, but not as I will, but as you will. Jesus could have escaped so easily, but he stayed. He endured. Even when his disciples left him, even when he was by himself, even when he felt truly alone, I couldn't imagine like literally being so sorrow-filled and so overwhelmed that you sweat drops of blood. But he stayed because he knew that by him staying and going through what he was going to go through meant that everybody he cared about both now, past, and the future depended on it. This story is not about Peter. It's not about the disciples. It's about Jesus. And the fact that Peter failed is not the focus and the focal point. It's actually a contrast to the fact that Jesus didn't. Our failures don't reflect our standing with God. They just reflect the goodness of his mercy and grace. 
Your failures, our failures, my failures, don't impact how God sees me. It doesn't impact how my standing with him. It doesn't make a difference if I fail, that all of a sudden now I'm outside of God's will. That if I fail, now all of a sudden now I'm out of his good graces. Now all of a sudden now that I'm no longer going to heaven or doing that, it doesn't matter. Because the failures don't reflect me, it reflects his goodness and mercy. Because if you want to be in his good graces, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be on God's good side, guess what the standard is? Perfection. And I don't know about any of you, but I'm a far cry from perfection. But Jesus wasn't. And that's why he stayed. That's why he stayed in the garden, because he knew he is the only one that could ever do what what needs to be done. By him staying, by him going through the garden of Gethsemane, by him going through the cross, by him going to all of it, we got to experience God. He did it for us. Not for him. Because if he did it for him, he would have dipped out the back and he would have been gone. He did it for us. Make no mistake about it, sin is sin. The anger that's within you that makes you just do something that you regret. Physically, emotionally, mentally. Sin is sin. Anger is sin. Lust is sin. Looking at that man or that woman lustfully is a sin. Being jealous of that person and, and, and being conceited and having all these things that you wish you had but somebody else has, it's sin. Being deceptive and lying is sinful. Giving our word and not following through is sin. Sin is sin. But that's why the garden and the cross are so important. Because he took it on himself. Jesus took it on himself. First John chapter 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Jesus succeeded, we fail. As someone who hates to fail, that's a hard message for me to hear. You will fail. You will fail God. You will fail your spouse. You will fail your kids. You will fail your co-workers. You will fail yourself. You will fail. I failed this morning. I failed yesterday. I failed all last month. I'm going to fail tomorrow. Give me about 10 minutes and I'm going to fail. Maybe five. I can fail pretty fast. But we serve a God of success, not failure. We serve a God who is so passionate and so in love and passionate about us, that he'll take it upon himself so that we can be with him. My question for all of us this morning, my question for everyone in this room, everyone that's going to be listening online is, are we sleeping on God? Forget failure and success for a second. The disciples failed Jesus in his moment of need, but it didn't impact their standing with God, it just impacted what they got to experience. They missed out. They missed out on God doing something awesome. What I find so interesting is Peter stood with his sword and tried to get in the way of God getting taken away by the people, and what if he succeeded? What if Peter succeeded and the guys disbanded and went away and Jesus never got taken and never got taken to the cross? Sometimes our best intentions are the very things that God's trying to give us away from because we're going to screw it up. You talk about watching and praying. God's got everything squared away. God's got the stage and the plan of your life scoped out from now until the day that you die. 
He knows everything. The Bible says from the moment you came out of your mother's womb, Jesus had your course of your life planned out for you. He's got it squared away. That means that when you're in the valley, when you're in the junk, he's got a way out. When you're on the mountaintop and you're feeling good, but all of a sudden now you step down, he's still got a way figured out. But the question is, are we going to follow the path through the entirety, or are we going to sleep on God and, and get in the way? Are we going to step in and get in the way? Are we sleeping on God? Are we too busy for him? Are we too busy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to make time for him? Are we too busy to open up this book and learn about him? Are we too busy to spend time with him and just sit and be? You guys got stuff going on. I know you do. I know it's not necessarily a lack of desire or a lack of knowing we need to do it. But are we making the time or are we falling asleep on God? Are we making our time with God our priority? I think that's a big word. I'm not saying you got to go home, forget about football today, and open this up and read it for three hours. But maybe before we start our truck, before we go to work tomorrow morning, would we pray and ask God to do whatever he's calling us to do? Maybe instead of listening to K-Fan or the radio on the way to work, maybe we turn on a Christian worship station and we worship on the way to work. Maybe instead of, of going to church and just calling that good, maybe we ask, how can we step up and lead in church? If we fall asleep on God, we miss out on the best that he has for us. The disciples missed out because they were asleep. Maybe for others of you, you've been loving Jesus longer than I've been alive. You know the answers. You know the stuff. You've been through the sermons before and you're going, I just, I'm bored, man. I know this stuff. Can I just challenge you? That God's an infinite God. And nothing new is under the sun, but it doesn't mean we can't see things differently. Guys, I have seen, the reason I have pink hair is because I've been telling our students about how other people in the world exist. And how there are people in Nepal, six, seven, eight-year-old boys and girls who are being trafficked. There are people in Kenya who are watching their little babies die because they don't have clean water. It's either they give them water that's tainted with parasites or no water at all. Which, what do you choose? I talked to them about the things that are happening in our backyard in Minnesota and Minneapolis. And they get it. They're bringing their friends to church. They're making that tough invite of, hey, will you come to church with me? Sure. They're sacrificing. They're giving to missions to help people. They get it. Because they're not sleeping on God. They're being watchful. And they're praying. And that's my challenge for us today. Would we be watchful and would we pray? Would we dig in? Would we press in? Would we go after God with all that we are? This is not about the bridge church. This is not about St. Francis. This is about the church as a whole. I was telling our team this morning, I'm just finishing the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And there's a whole bunch of crazy end time stuff in there I'm not going to get into for a second. But that's what I thought the book was. But as I'm three chapters from finishing it, I found out the premise of the book is that we win. Jesus wins. There's a lot of bad stuff in the world. There's a lot of bad things that have been done. There's a lot of evil in the world. Sometimes we welcome it and we bring it in. 
But can I tell you that it doesn't matter how dark things get, it doesn't matter how evil things get, we win. Jesus wins. And so my purpose, my life is now committed to this idea that we don't have to earn perfection. We don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to earn God's good graces. We don't have to do this, that, and the other thing to get on his good side. We don't have to do all of those things to be better with him. We need to live from a place of victory. We need to live from a place that God's calling us, God's moving us, God's doing things in the world. The only thing we have to ask ourselves is are we staying awake for it and are we watching for it? Are we praying for it? Because if we are, we're going to experience something amazing. And if we don't, we'll still die. If we love Jesus, we'll still go to heaven. But what are we missing out on if we're sleeping? If you guys will all bow your heads and close my eyes, I want to pray for three things this morning. The first thing I want to pray for is maybe somebody's in this place And they have never had a relationship with God before. They've been to church for a long time. They've maybe gone to a few traditional services, but there's never been this intimacy and this relationship with Jesus that they, that I've been talking about today. Maybe they had that at one point, but life has happened and they've been taken away from it and they just need to recommit themselves to that. So if that's you, every eye is closed in this place. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to do anything wonky from you. I just want you to make that choice saying, Jesus, I want to recommit my life to you. Jesus, I want to be close to you. If that's you in this place, so you just really quickly up and down, just raise your hand. I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm not going to do anything goofy. You're just saying, I just need to get myself right with God. I'm going to pray for you in a second. We just need to know that the Lord loves you exactly where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done, what's happened. He's got you. The other two things I want to pray for, the first one is that some of us just, maybe it's time for us to stop sleeping. Maybe it's time for us to to say yes to whatever it is that God's calling us to do, but we've been scared to. We've been resisting it. And the third thing I want to pray for is boldness. Because I believe, as I was praying this week, that a lot of us have been awake We've watched, and we know what God's calling us to do, but we've been scared to do it. That relationship that you can't bring yourself to forgive, forgive. That big moment and leap of faith of moving or doing, you got to go. That moment and that thing that God's been asking you to do for months years, weeks, that you just can't bring yourself to do it because you're scared or it's too tough or it's too hard. It's time. And I want to pray that you'd understand that God's with you and behind you in all of it. So God, I pray for every single person in this room. Jesus, I pray that every single person in this room, no matter where they're at, would know, God, how deep and wide your love is. Jesus, that you love us exactly where we're at and not for where we've been or not for what we've done, but you love us for where we're at. doesn't matter the failures that have happened to us in our life. Jesus, you give us a fresh start and a newness, Jesus. And God, for those in this place, maybe for those going, what's next? Am I supposed to get more involved in church? Am I supposed to open up the Bible for the first time? All these questions, God, maybe it's time for us to wake up. I pray that you would bring a spirit of just excitement and joy as they step into that. As we wake up, God, may we look forward to what it is that you want to do. And for the last group, Lord, for those that have been paralyzed by fear, 
that thing that seems so tough to them, may you give them the strength and the boldness to do it. Because God, when we say yes to you, mountains move. When we say yes to you, things begin to change. So I pray, God, that whatever it is in this place today, may you give us a spirit of confidence and boldness. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody go take a nap, all right? (laughs) Sleeping is good. Have a good week, everybody. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.